Greetings once again, Wanderer. I hope you're sitting comfortably. Come, join me if not already, in the circle of the firelight. Let us share tales and knowledge. In this week, we are going to be starting the legends of Odin and Frigga. And as ever, I will be giving my own notes on them. And we are going to be covering a little bit about Loki and how Christianity really demonized the guy. Now, Loki is one of my deities, so I may be a little bit biased about him. I still recognize he's a little shit, but it's interesting how shit changed once Christianity started to become the norm. And then we are going to be talking about my favorite rune of the first eight. That would be answers. So, take a sip of drink, relax yourself, and let's share the wisdom that we know. So, this first legend is going to be very short, and it really introduces the character of Odin in this section of the epic tales, Norse myths and tales, Legends of Odin and Frigga. So, let's begin. In the Golden Age of Asgard, Odin reigned at the head of the Nine Worlds of Yggdrasil. He was a fair man, well liked by all, and his kingdom of Asgard was a magnificent place, where time stood still, and youth and the pleasures of nature abounded. Odin was also called the Allfather, for he was the father of all men and gods, he reigned high on his throne, overlooking each of the worlds, when impulse struck him. Odin disguised himself, and went among the gods and people of the other worlds, seeking to understand their activities. Odin appeared in many forms, but he was often recognised, for he just had one eye, and that eye could see all. Odin had many adventures, and before the War of the Gods, before Odin began to prepare for Ragnarok, Frigga was Odin's wife and the Queen of Asgard. Asgard was a setting for many of them, as you will see. All of the gods have their stories, and some of the most exciting are recorded here. So I'm going to continue on from the introduction, because that was very short and sweet. And the first one we're going to talk about is Odin and Frigga in Asgard. Odin was the son of Bor, and the brother of Vili and V. He was the most supreme god of the northern races, and he brought great wisdom to his place at the helm of all gods. He was called the Allfather, for all gods were said to have descended from him, and his esteemed seat was Asgard itself. He had a, held a throne there, once in an exalted and prestigious position, and it served as a fine watchtower from where he could look over men on earth and the other gods in Asgard as they went about their daily business. Odin was a tall, mighty warrior. While not having the brawn of many excellent men, he had wisdom which counted for much more. On his shoulders he carried two ravens, Hugin, Thought, and Munin, Memory, and they perched there as he sat on his throne and recounted to him the activities in the great wide world. Hugin and Munin were Odin's eyes and his ears when he was in Asgard, and he depended on their bright eyes and alert ears for news of everything that transpired down below. In his hand, Odin carried a great spear, Gungnir, which had been forged by dwarves, and which was so sacred that it could never be broken. On his finger, 
Odin wore a ring throughout Nia, which represented fertility and fruitfulness, and which was more valuable to him and to his land than anything in any other god's possession. At the foot of Odin's throne sat two wolves or hunting hounds, Geri and Freki, and these animals were sacred. If one happened upon them when hunting, success was assured. Odin belonged to a mysterious region, somewhere between life and death. He was more subtle and more dangerous than any of the other gods, and his name in some dialects means wind, for he could be both forceful and gentle and then elusive or absent. On the battlefield, Odin would dress as an old man. Indeed, Odin had many disguises, for when things changed in Asgard and became bad, he had reason to travel on earth to uncover many secrets, attended by ravens, wolves and the Valkyrs were the choosers of the slain, the maidens who took the souls of fallen warriors to Valhalla. Valhalla was Odin's place at Asgard, and its grandeur was breathtaking. Valhalla means Hall of the Chosen Slain, and it had 500 great wooden doors, which were wide enough to allow 800 warriors to pass, breastplate to breastplate. The walls were made of glittering spears, polished until they gleamed like silver and the roof with a sea of golden shields which shone, shone like the sun itself. In Odin's great halls were huge banqueting tables where the Einhara, or warriors favoured by Odin, were served. The tables were laden with the finest hordes of mead, horns of mead even, and platters of roast boar. Like everything else in Asgard, Valhalla was enchanted. Even the boar was divine, and Seithrimir, as he was called, was slain daily by the cook, boiled, roasted, served each night in tender succulent morsels and then brought back to life again the following day for the procedure to take place once again. After the meal, the warriors would retire to the palace forecourt where they would engage in unmatched feats of arms for all to see. Those who were injured would be healed instantly by the enchantment of Valhalla and those who watched became even finer warriors. Odin lived in Asgard with Frigga who was the mother goddess and his wife. Frigga was the daughter of Fjorgin and the sister of Jord, and she was greatly beloved on earth and in Asgard. She was goddess of the atmosphere and the clouds, and she wore garments that was white as the snow-laden mountains that gently touched the land of Asgard. As mother of all, Frigga carried about her a heady scent of the earth, blossoming flowers, ripened fruit and luscious greenery. There are many stories told about Frigga, as we will discover below. Life in Asgard was one of profound comfort and grace. Each day dawned new and fresh, for the passage of time had not been accorded to Asgard, and nothing changed except to be renewed. The sun rose each day, never too hot, and the clouds gently cooled the air as the day waned. Each night the sky was lit with glistening stars, and the fresh, rich white moon rose in the sky and lit all with her milky light. There was no evil in Asgard, and the good was as pure as the water, as the air, and as the thoughts of each god and goddess as he and she slept. In the fields, cows grazed on verdant green grass, and in the trees, birds caught a melody and tossed it from branch to branch until the whole world sang with their splendid music. The wind wove its way through the trees, across the mountains, and under the sea-blue skies, kissing ripples into the streams and turning a leaf to best advantage. There was a peace and harmony that exists for that magical moment just before spring turns to summer and it was that moment 
at which Asgard was suspended for all time. And so it was that Odin and Frigga brought up their young family here, away from the darkness on the other side, far from the clutches of change and disharmony. There were nine worlds in Yggdrasil, the world ash, which stretched out from Asgard as far as the eye could see. At the top there was the Aesir, and in the bottom was the dead world of Hell, at the tree's lowest roots. In between there were the Vanir, the Light Elves, the Dark Elves, Men, Frost and Hill Giants, Dwarves and the Giants of Muspel. Frigga kept her own palace in Asgard, called Fensalir, and from his high throne Odin could see her there hard at her work. Frigga's place was called the Hall of Mist, and she sat with her spinning wheel, spinning golden thread, or long webs of bright coloured clouds with a marvellous jeweled spinning wheel, which could be seen as constellation in the night sky. There was a story told once of Frigga, one in which her customary goodness and grace were compromised. Frigga was a slim and elegant goddess, and she took great pride in her appearance, something the later Christians would consider to be a sin, but which the Vikings understood and indeed encouraged. She had long, silky hair, and she dressed herself in exquisite finery, and Odin showered her with gifts of gems and finely wrought precious metals. She lived contentedly, for her husband was generous, until the day came when she spied a splendid golden ornament which had been fastened to a statue of her husband. As the seamless darkness of Asgard fell one evening, she slipped out and snatched the ornament, entrusting it to the dwarves whom she asked to forge her the finest of necklaces. When the jewel was complete, it was the most beautiful decoration ever seen on any woman, goddess or humankind, and it made her more attractive to Odin, so that he plied her with even more gifts and more love than ever. Soon, however, he discovered that his decoration had been stolen, and he called together all the dwarves and with all the fury of a god, demanded that this treacherous act be explained. Now, Frigga was beloved both by god and dwarf, and although the dwarves were at risk of death at the hand of Odin, they remained loyal to Frigga and would not tell the Allfather whom had stolen the golden ornament. Odin's anger knew no bounds. The silence of dwarves meant only one thing to him, treason, and he swore to find out the real thief by daybreak. And so it was on that night Odin commanded that the statue be placed above the gates of the palace and he began to devise wounds which enabled it to talk and to betray the thief. Frigga's blood turned cold when she learned this commandment, for Odin was a kind and generous god when he was happy and content, but when he was but when he was crossed, there was a blackness in his nature that put them all in danger. There was every possibility that Frigga would be cast out of Asgard if he were to know of her deceit, and it was at the expense of everything that she intended to keep it a secret. Frigga called out to her favourite attendant, Fula, and begged her to find some way to protect her from Odin. Fulla disappeared, and several hours later returned with the dwarf, a hideous and frightening dwarf, who insisted that he could present, prevent the secret from being uncovered if Frigga would do him the honour of smiling kindly on him. Frigga agreed at once, and that night, instead of revealing all, the statue was smashed to pieces while the unwitting guards slept, drugged by the ugly dwarf. Odin was so enraged by this new travesty that he left Asgard at once, disappearing into the night and taking with him all of the blessings he had laid upon Asgard. And in his absence, Asgard and the world around turned cold. 
Odin's brothers, it is said, stepped into his place, taking on his, own, his appearance in order to persuade the gods and men that all was well, but they had not his power or his great goodness, and soon enough the frost giants invaded the earth and cast across the land a white blanket of snow. The trees were stripped of their finery, the sun-kissed streams froze and forgot how to gurgle their happy song. Birds left the trees and cows huddled together in frosty paddocks. The clouds joined together and became an impenetrable mist and the wind howled and scowled through the barren rock. For seven months Asgard stood frozen until the hearts of each man within it became frosted with unhappiness and then Odin returned. When he saw the nature of the evil that had stood in his place he placed his warm blessings let me try that again he placed the warmth of his blessings on the land once more forcing the frost giants to release them he had missed frigga and he showered her once more with loving gifts and to and as mother of all gods once again she took her place beside him as his queen asgard had many happy days before frigga's necklace caused the earth to become cold frigga and odin had many children including Thor, their eldest son, who was the favourite of the gods and the people, a large and boisterous god with a seal for life. He did everything with great passion and spirit, and his red hair and red beard made him instantly identifiable wherever he went. Thor lived in Asgard at Thrudfanger, in his castle hall, Bilskinir, Lightning. He was often seen with a sheet of lightning, which he flashed across the land, ripening the harvest and ensuring good crops for all. With his forked lightning in another hand, he travelled to the edges of the kingdoms, fighting trolls and battling giants, the great guardian of Asgard and of men and gods. Thrufanger had 540 rooms, and it was the largest castle ever created. Here he lived with the beautiful Sif, an exquisite goddess with hair made of long, shining strands of gold. Sif was the goddess of the fields and the mother of the earth, like Frigga. Her long golden hair was said to represent the golden grass covering the harvest fields and Thor was very proud of her. Balder was the second son of Odin and Frigga at Asgard and he was fairest of all the gods. Indeed his purity and goodness shone out like a moonbeam and he was so pale as to be translucent. Balder was loved by all and his innate kindness caused him to love everything around him, evil or good. He lived in Breidablik with his wife Nana, the third son of Odin was Hoda, a blind but happy god who sat quietly, listening and enjoying the sensual experiences of the wind in his hair, the sun on his shoulders, the joyful cries of the bird on the air. While all was good in Aesir, let me try that again, while all was good in Asgard, Hoda was content. And though he represented darkness and was the twin to Balder's light, that darkness had no real place and it was kept in check by the forces of goodness. Odin's fourth son was Tyr, who was the most courageous and brave of the gods, the god of martial honour and one of the twelve gods of Asgard. He did not have his own palace for he travelled widely, but he held a throne at Valhalla and in the great council hall of Gladsheim. Tyr was also the god of the sword and every sword had his rune carved into its handle. Although Odin was his father, Tyr's mother is said to have been a beautiful unknown giantess. Heimdall was also lived in Asgard, and he was called the White God, 
although he was not thought to be the son of Odin and Frigga at all. Some said he had been conceived by nine mysterious sisters who had given birth to him together. His stronghold was a fort on the boundary of Asgard, next to the Bifrost Bridge, and he slept there with one eye open and both ears alert for the sound of any enemy approaching. There were many other gods in Asgard, and many who would come one day to live there, but in those early days of creation, the golden years of Asgard, life was simple and its occupants few and wondrous. The gods and goddesses lived together in their palaces, many of them with children about whom many stories can be told. But even the golden years of Asgard held their secrets, and even the best of worlds must have its serpent. There was one inhabitant of Asgard who no one cared to discuss, the very spirit of evil. He was Loki, who some said was the brother of Odin, although there was others who swore he could not be related to Allfather. Loki was the very personification of trickery and deceit, and his mischief led him into great trouble. But that is another story. So, normally this would be the point where I'd make my notes, and trust me, I have plenty. However, they tie in mainly with how Loki was depicted just then. And given that I want to talk a bit about Loki, then I think we're going to skip this. So, we're going to move straight on to the bit where we do talk about Loki. And I want to talk about how there's a common misconception about Norse mythology, the Norse pantheon, and all the rest of it. So let's move on. So, let's talk about Loki. In what I just read, they personified Loki as just trickery, deceit, mischief, and that is a very Christianized viewpoint. I've said a few times that for me, while the Norse people had a very firm moral code and they did have an idea of good and evil, Loki, at least initially, I don't think would have been read as evil. Now, from my research, Loki is often considered a blood brother to Odin. And by a blood brother, that typically relates to having created an oath normally signed by blood which is basically cut the palm of the wrist, shake on it, or some other form of mingling the blood. And that is one of the strongest oaths you can swear. But he also ties into a bit of personal practice for me. And as one of my deities, he's a god that I view very differently. And he also ties into it that I want to talk a little bit about how we misrepresent gender a lot and how particularly in the Norse religion due to its popularity with white supremacists and I'm not saying that all Norse pagans are white supremacists it's just an unfortunate side effect for me personally when I am worshipping Loki in private I do not use he him pronouns all the time I very firmly feel which pronouns Loki wants me to use at the that point. So sometimes when I'm calling out to Loki or honouring Loki, it's they them. Sometimes it's he him. For me personally, Loki uses either. 
and for those who don't know, Loki is a shapeshifter, and yes, it's valid that he is a trickster. However, there's a few things I need to point out about Loki. Loki, he's been personified as basically a devil replacement, whereas my favourite book to read, or my favourite book I've yet to read but I love the title, is the um, Pagan Portals book on Loki, and it's called Loki, the God of Chaos and Transformation. And frequently, Loki, depending on what you read, but at least by cross-referencing and not relying on one source, Loki is in the early parts of the Norse myths and legends, not so much depicted as malicious. Indeed, he is the one that the gods come to when they've made a fuck up or they, their normal methods of handling things aren't working and they can't afford to go to war. And Loki, by his very nature, isn't bound so strongly by the Asgard conventions. He's more willing to go outside the norms. He's more willing to look outside the box for a solution. And normally when the gods find him, they, they've gone, you know what, let's ask Loki to fix this. We can't do it ourselves, we're going to ask the trickster god. Because then if it all goes wrong, he can take the blame. And that's something else that has happened a lot with Loki. He has become the scapegoat. He's become the scapegoat for all the ills. And that makes me sad. So, the other thing about Loki, and I've noticed this a lot across all various deity pantheons, the trickster god almost always has something to do with shapeshifting. You have Maui, who we meet in Moana most famously. Tricks god, chaos god, shapeshifter. In a lot of um, Native American myths, your trickster god tends to be a shapeshifter. And I think that says something about the innate nature. The other thing I find interesting that gets touched on a lot, and this is something I haven't read in a lot of areas, but I did pick up on it on here. Some people say Loki's origins are unknown. Some people say Loki is the personification of the darkness in Odin. But that's, to me, it's ranging too much in towards an idea that Odin separated the darkness and didn't do it fully. Whereas, from my understanding, Odin would well and truly understand that there would be dark in everyone and that the gods were flawed and that is the basic approach of the Norse pantheon but ultimately Loki forms a balance and he also plays some very important roles and what roles are these so I touched on it a bit with the title of the pagan portals book on Loki he is a god that causes transformation I love working with Loki because he is chaos, he is related to fire, and fire is one of those things that it's by its nature, it can be warm, it can be nurturing, but it can also be fierce and destructive. And it's a bit like the wind in that matter, think about it. Well, if Odin is the wind and Loki is fire, they both have some very key attributes in mind. Fire and wind are both elements that can be nurturing, but they can also be very destructive. Fire can be gentle and controlled, but it can also have immense destructive energy, and so can the wind. 
And I find it interesting that by the end, Loki is villainized and put as the polar opposite of Odin. Whereas I believe that Loki's original role was to remind everyone in a semi-controlled manner of the chaos that exists outside the fence. And ultimately, those myths and legends where Loki has actually done a prank, caused mischief, they're the ones where the gods undergo a transformation. They grow. They get better. You know? So Loki, while everyone tends to demonise the guy, he's very much a scapegoat. And ultimately, I think it was in, um, I think it was in Neil Gaiman's mythology. Gaiman? Gaiman? One of those two. Where he points out that without Loki, the gods would not have had half as many adventures as they did. And Loki, I have to give him a lot of respect. If he made a mistake, if he legitimately fucked up, at least at first, before Christianity started to become the norm and they needed to demonise someone, he would do his utmost to fix that fuck up. I raise Svaldifari's birth. I raise, well, Sleepnir's birth and the incident with Svaldifari. That is a legend we'll be reading about, but that is a point where Loki did suggested something. It wasn't going to work. The gods came to him and went, this is on you, bud. And he went, okay, fine, I'm going to fix it. You know? He took a lot of responsibility when he made mistakes. And I don't think it's particularly fair that he is so thoroughly demonised. And it's something that's wrong. It's something that's wrong to me. And it's something that's wrong to a lot of Lokians. And this is one of the reasons why I reject the idea that just because Loki is chaos and a trickster, that means he's immediately evil. Because, honestly, just because you pull a prank doesn't make you evil. And Loki, most of the time, most of his pranks aren't evil. Likewise, we have his children. Yes, Fenris becomes part of Ragnarok. But they were cast out by Odin. Odin feared them and cast them out. Hell cast down to hell. Fenrir got chained. Jormungandr is the world serpent. And Sleipnir became his mount. Just imagine how that would feel if someone who you thought was your blood brother, and I'm going down the blood brother route here, who swore an oath, and you swore an oath to do that, to protect them and do them no harm. And their idea of doing you no harm, when fire can be a very nurturing element, and fire tends to be very protective of its own. So the person you swore an oath to protect and do no harm to, did that to your children. I don't think you'd be very happy with them anymore. And there's a part of me that does go. And I can't help but think this. There is always this small part of me that goes, well, what if one time round? Because I believe that Ragnarok isn't a big end of the world affair. I very firmly believe that Ragnarok is more of a rebirth. It's cyclical, like the seasons. 
So I believe there have been many incidences of Ragnarok happening. And we may be on who knows how many rebirth cycles now. Because I believe that the gods die, but their wisdom carries on in the younger gods. Because in Ragnarok, it's not all the gods that die. It is the older gods. It is the likes of Odin. And it's very possible that although they die, their knowledge gets passed on. And they effectively live on through the younger gods. And they are, the younger gods take on the same names. We cannot know what their intention was. But for me, Ragnarok does not mean the end of all things as we think of it in a Christian way. It just means the death of that which is old and weak. And I'm not saying that any of the gods are old and weak. But the death of the old things to make way for the new things. Because even a mighty pine in the depths of winter, if water seeps in through a crack, freezes and expands, even the mighty pine can be brought down. Even an oak can be dragged to the ground if enough weight of snow falls on its limbs. All these strong, powerful trees, especially the oak, the ash, they all can be dragged down. And I think that's what the original intention of Ragnarok was. And so I can't help but wonder, what would happen if one time round, one go round in the cycle, things went differently? Now I want to write that as a story. Even respecting that it wouldn't happen, I, as part of me wants to write that as a story. However, that is all I want to ramble on about Loki for this podcast. However, once I get round to doing show notes, there's probably going to be a lot more information about Loki. But just so we're aware, one thing I wish that would happen in modern media is we stop using Loki as evil. And we stop going for the black hair slicked back or balding please please because i don't see loki as dark haired unless of course i'm thinking tom hiddleston in marvel cinematic universe loki i imagine with long flowing slightly curled blazing red vibrant hair like fire with embers of gold flicked through and pale intense blue eyes maybe a bit of green in them but you get the picture with braids in it and yeah i don't see loki in norse myth being dark haired that is all i definitely see little horns though i like the idea of loki with little horns because it ties in with the nature and chaos aspect and the fact that he is a shapeshifter But let's talk a little bit about gender in Norse Viking times. And something that I really wish I could find more information about. Because there's a set pattern. Christianity comes in and all aspects that might have indicated that there was more than just male and female get erased. All ideas that females were not seen as lower than males get erased and the only sign i see is loki and odin 
Odin and Loki both, in many ways, reject gender norms. Now, I don't want to look too far ahead, but there's the likes of Odin learning Seder magic, which was a female magic, and being considered as ergy, which doesn't mean gay, it actually means unmanly. He was seen as unmanly for that. And this is the All-Father, the one who fathered all humanity, being seen as unmanly. Then we have Loki. Loki is a shapeshifter. Loki, for me personally, very much, as I said before, he goes by they, them pronouns, he goes by he, him pronouns. It's never something that Loki's felt uncomfortable with, and honestly, as I learn about my gender, it's Loki and Freja who are really connecting with me more strongly. Odin has always been a little bit more aloof, a little bit more absent. He makes it known what he wants, but he's a little bit less nurturing, which is understandable. It even says there he is more likely to be absent some points, but when he wants your attention, he's pretty forceful. Trust me, I know, I tried to ignore him for ages because I was like, I really don't know if I want to work with you, but he was determined. I read runes quite intuitively, and that's when he really comes forward. So now I make sure I worship him as well. But the concept to me of masculine and feminine, it almost doesn't quite exist to me. It's the only way I can explain it. It's like something that I don't think they would have put as much stock in in terms of male or female the i feel like there would have been more an idea of whoever's doing x y or z job is whoever's at home or whoever's about to do x y or z job yes there would have been certain roles that were female only um the volva which did say the magic was definitely a female only role but most of the other jobs it was literally Whoever was deemed the most suitable to do it, from my research. And I do feel like there would have been a space for those that were gender non-conforming. It may have been looked at as a bit weird, but I feel my gut instinct is telling me that, although it's been erased and I'm going to look into this some more, that there would have been times where they would have focused less on what gender someone was, um, how they presented themselves, and more on what they could do. Because it's shown in their myths. It's shown in their legends. It's shown in their depictions of the gods. That is if you strip away the Christian influences. But I think that's enough of me rambling for now. I'm going to do further research and I'll try and post anything else I find on either Medium or on my blog or on the podcast notes section of my website. So, this rune. We've been technically doing what this rune inspires all along. We've been communicating. That's right, we're talking about answers. Also known as Odin, a god. A mouth, a voice of the universe. And this, as I've said, is one of my favourite runes because, depending on which way up it shows, it can refer to two of my deities. I've already said this before. Odin and Loki are both my deities, along with Freja, who's a newer one to the fold. 
And I love that I do have this rune that shows both. So, answers, I tend to view it as a form of communicating. But it's also very inspirational. I love drawing this rune. I love it, what it means and it's one that resonates with me. For me, answers is always a sign of leadership. It's always a sign of communication to inspire others. And hopefully what I'm doing here where I'm communicating what I know and reading the myths with you all and talking a bit about my beliefs, hopefully it is helping to inspire you and give some idea of leadership. And that for me is what Answers is all about. And when I first started to think about starting this podcast, this was the room that showed up a lot. I was constantly drawing Answers and even back as I did my New Year casting of runes, Answers showed up then in the first quarter. So when I'm doing a year cast, I have my rune mat and it's split into four sections. And there's the center, which is the immediate. And then for a year cast, I read it going around clockwise. So the first quarter is spring. The second quarter is summer, the third quarter is autumn, and the fourth quarter is winter. I'm slowly but surely working on moving my New Year's date to Samhain, or Samhain, but that's that's for a different story. And in the book, A Little Bit of Runes, which I do use by Cassandra Eason, it clearly says that the strengths for the symbol side up, it means that it's inspirational. Continuing or reviving good luck, passing tests and examinations or interviews, literary and artistic ventures, and a chance to take the lead or promotion. Now admittedly, if it shows up blank side up, it's autocracy, inflexibility, dishonesty, or giving mixed messages. Now it says here that it's the rune of Odin the Allfather, and also of growing authority and embracing leadership or launching major dreams and ambitions. As the rune of the mouth, Answers favours clear communication on every level by saying calmly but firmly what you truly need and feel in both personal and work relationships. However, just like face up, Answers refers very strongly to Odin's strengths. When it shows in reverse, it tends to show show about Loki and the negative concept. So it tends to refer to maybe there's dishonesty from yourself or from those around you. It's a risky time. There's deceitful behavior happening and you need to deal with this. But you should always deal with it calmly and with clean, clear communication. And it also acts as a bit of a warning. Be wary of what you do or what you're saying. You could be causing great deceit and through that great harm. And that is not normally a good thing. As you may have noticed, I don't tend to view runes good or bad. I don't tend to have a world view of them as good or bad. I view them as issuing warnings and guidance as to how to mould your behaviour to best achieve what's being wove. Um, for me, answers is generally a very positive rune. It's either indicating that what you are planning is do- going to do well, or it's indicating that what you're planning 
needs a bit of communication revision or the ambition or the artistic desire isn't quite matching what you need on a spiritual level or on a physical level and that's not a bad thing that's just a reminder to be true to yourself and to avoid deceitful behavior so answers is one of my favorite runes it has ties to two of my deity patrons and it has ties to for me a lot of good things and a lot of good messages answers is definitely one of those interesting runes because it's one of the first runes that doesn't talk about using force and it doesn't talk about necessarily wealth or anything like that physical tangible wealth it talks more about the wealth of inspiration mental wealth intellect communication and it shows a shifting away you've done the brute bulk work now you're moving into a time where you need to use your brain you're moving away from the need to use raw strength raw wealth to chuck physical things at a problem now it's time to start to use the intellectual side your tongue your words your communicative side to communicate ideas to gather the people you need around you to do the work so that your ambitions can pay off and hopefully the ambitions of the community it's very much a rune that for me i feel speaks strongly of community and it's showing that shifting away we've done the raw energetical stuff we've done the bulk heavy lifting creation stuff now it's time to refine that creation that's one of the many messages answers gives to me and as i say it's one that makes me very excited to see in a draw but what about you what's something that you get when you draw answers feel free to share and as ever i do want to highlight that one of the best practices you can do is spend time with each of your runes do one a day one a week whatever you've got time to do hold it in your hand and sit or trace it get a bowl of sand and trace the rune and see what messages you get from it as you make the action the more you work with them the more you will learn your own personal intuitive readings and honestly i don't feel there is a wrong interpretation yes i can give you a mixture of my interpretations and the book interpretations but they should really only be used as a guide as a baseline if you feel that answers speaks to you in a different way about communication that's also fine the base of answers is always inspiration leadership following your dreams and ambitions and communicating a good leader is a good communicator don't forget that you can communicate your ideas and it's a reminder to communicate your ideas is my baseline reading but i hope you've enjoyed this episode so this is the end of our meeting wanderer and i hope our discussions have proven insightful remember if you want to leave any feedback you can drop me a voice message on anchor you can drop me an email 
at deviateddroid at gmail.com. And you can always check out my social media presence and my content in other places at https dot deviated uh, let's try that again https colon yeah colon forward slash forward slash deviated droid dot com if you've enjoyed this podcast feel free to leave me a review wherever you've seen it seen it if it's on apple i'm still trying to work out how to get apple reviews showing so that i can read them i'm on pc and android but otherwise May your travels along your path go smoothly, Wanderer. And maybe we will see you again next week. Under the last oak tree of the forest, in the circle of the firelight, where we can share more information and more discussions. I'm hoping to get podcast notes done at the end of the month. I'm sorry they're getting so delayed. But right now work has really kicked up a notch and I'm struggling to keep time. So, I hope I'll see you next week, where we will be continuing through Odin's and Frigga's legends, and we'll be talking about possibly Odin, unless of course something else has come up. But for now, stay safe on your travels, Wanderer, and may knowledge and information come to you.